Hello and welcome to the Personal Investor Podcast. I'm Ed Monk today on the show. A new threat is stalking financial markets right now. A possible new crisis in the banking sector. We'll examine what's going on and we'll take a look at last week's budget and the changes that will allow more money to be put into pensions. It's a busy week. If you enjoy the show, please rate us, share us or leave a comment wherever you get your podcasts. An all-too-familiar and unwelcome threat to markets has emerged in the past two weeks. A return of stress in the banking sector has an echo of the credit crunch of 2008. Fifteen years on from that crisis, banks are once again in question with investors looking on warily as authorities step in with measures to keep the supply of money in the system flowing. What's the latest and is this really a rerun of the banking crisis from all those years ago? To answer that, I'm joined by Tom Stevenson, Investment Director here at Fidelity. Tom, now look, we're also going to look uh, today at the fallout from the budget last week and changes to pensions in particular. Uh, but there really is only one place to start when it comes to the markets this week, and that is banks. So what's the latest? Yes, well, it's been a very interesting two weeks, and it's, it feels like a bit more than two weeks. Um, but uh, two weeks ago, we uh, we had the the, the first uh, intimations that 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 things were going wrong in the banking sector, as you say. You. Uh, flagged up the the uh, the parallels with with two thousand and eight. So the the focus of it was this um, relatively small, um, relatively unknown. I mean, I think many of us had never even heard of Silicon yeah. Valley Bank so until it's a bit two made weeks up, ago. Actually, <laughs> it, did, it did indeed. But it was a, it was it was, a, it was a small bank that was running into problems because uh, uh, its depositors were were basically trying to get their money out. And and as anyone who knows anything about banking knows, is that. It's it's essentially uh, uh, confidence trick is not the right word because that that makes it it's sound built on confidence. it's built on confidence it's built yeah. on trust it's built on on faith everyone knows that when they put money in a bank um, uh, the bank is not in a position to pay back everyone at the same time yes. if they want access to their money that's not how how banks work and well, well whether or not they do know that they 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 probably should know that. They should know that, and 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 once every twenty years or so, people are reminded of this fact because we have what what has happened over the last uh, two weeks. So it started two weeks ago with SVB Silicon Valley Bank. We've had another um, fa- failure, um, a bank called Signature, um, and then there's a, a third U.S. bank called First Republic, which is. Um, uh, in a lot of trouble uh, and efforts have been made over the last two weeks by some of the bigger banks to try and support it and to bail it out with um, with mixed results um, and then more recently over the weekend uh, we had um, closer to home and much bigger and arguably more systemically important uh, we had uh, the rescue of um, one of Europe's biggest banks, Credit Suisse, by its Swiss rival uh, UBS, which was stitched up by by the Swiss authorities in order to prevent um, um, more widespread um, panic, really, in, in within the banking sector. So it's been a pretty tumultuous couple of weeks. Yeah, and 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 the sort of the feeling that's familiar is ah, uh, there's a name over here that you haven't heard of very much. Ah, there's a slightly bigger name. Now there's a bank that you have heard of. 
that is, that is an echo of 2008. The, the issues we're going to get into, and they are different, but mm. that part of it feels quite similar. <laughs> yes, it, 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 it does. And, and, and I think, you know, the reminder for me of 2008 is that I can remember very clearly then the sense that in the early stages of the crisis, everyone was saying, oh, you know, this is, this is not a systemic problem. These problems are specific to these particular institutions. Um, and then as time goes by, it becomes clear that it is a broader, more systemic problem. And I think that is that is the fear at the moment. And frankly, where we stand at the moment is no one knows how concerned they should be. Yeah. And, and in each of the examples that you've given, there are circumstances uh, specific to each bank. But um, can we make some broad conclusions here about what's affecting them? Um, this has to do with interest rates, doesn't it? And the effect of interest rates rising on the price of certain assets, assets that these banks hold in large quantities. Yes. So essentially, I mean, you know, the, the, the way a bank works is it, 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 it takes in deposits and, uh, and, it, and it loans uh, money out. Um, and where the confidence comes in is that actually there's a very thin sliver of, of assets on which all of this activity uh, sits. And it doesn't take much of a decline uh, in the value of the assets of a bank to basically wipe out that sliver, that buffer between uh, the assets and the liabilities. If they have sustained periods or sudden periods of large withdrawals, yeah. normally that's balanced out with deposits. Yeah. Um, but in times of stress, it's a more one-way thing. Yes. And where what you were saying about interest rates uh, uh, c comes into this is that um, uh, the, the value of certain assets which are commonly held by banks, typically government bonds, are extremely sensitive to movements in, in, in interest rates. Uh, so, uh, you know, when interest rates move quickly, as they have done over the last year, that can really upset the calculations of the banks in terms of the, the, the underlying value of their protective assets. Um, and this is what happened in the case of SVP. The value of, uh, of, their, of their government bond holdings fell as interest rates uh, rose. Uh, and this meant that um, you know, they were in a more fragile position. Depositors realised that they were in a more fragile position. They wanted to take their money out, and that's where it feeds upon itself. And, and we'll just dwell on SVB or Silicon Valley Bank for just a moment, because it is interesting, and I think the um, its circumstances point to the larger problem, but you know they were kind of in the worst place on various measures, weren't they? Because Silicon Valley Bank, as the name suggests, that's lending to the tech sector in particular. That sector's life has been made quite difficult in the past year. And so some of those businesses that had been putting aside huge amounts of money into bank accounts at SVB suddenly wanted to draw down on it to invest in their businesses. So there's a drag on, on the bank's sort of, you know, there are withdrawals being made. But also affecting this is that probably the client base at SVB is very particular, very wealthy businesses and the founders of businesses. Mm. So they would have had large amounts of deposits per head, if you like. So when one of them decides to pull their money out, it's a large amount of money. And the other sort of amazing detail, well, not amazing these days, I suppose, is that a lot of these tech founders gather together in WhatsApp groups and what have you, all sharing stories about, oh, you know, have you heard about uh, losses at SVB? The worst, the worst sort of circumstances for... Uh, a bank run because suddenly all these very very hyper aware very wealthy tech founders 
all pulled their money all, all in one go. Not a surprise that that was the kind of bank that went first. Yes, and I, I think you've highlighted three good reasons why, uh, in some ways, the problems at SVB were specific to SVB, uh, and they may not be um, uh, typical of the broader banking uh, ecosystem. And equally, um, Credit Suisse uh, had its own idiosyncratic problems. I mean, it, it, it's had problems with, you know, various sort of um, uh, scandals uh, over the years, accounting uh, issues. So, you know, it is possible to say, well, that's a Credit Suisse problem. That's an SVB uh, problem. We don't yet know whether this is a more uh, fundamental problem. But it is fair to say that this rapid rise in interest rates will be affecting all yes. banks. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say that's the common denominator, mm. isn't it? And I suppose, um, and we're going to come on to what the authorities are doing about this, but uh, y- you can take um, paper losses on assets. The problem comes if there's a rush of withdrawals. And that's where they're they're trying to, the authorities, I mean, they're trying to head off, you know, a route or a run in any one area or bank. Yes, and and, and the way that they can do that is by um, providing a a backstop or a protection to depositors. So if if people realise that the government has their back and you know, both on both sides of the Atlantic in the US and in the UK, we have systems in place where deposits are protected. I think one of the issues in the States is that it's not quite clear whether all banks are protected in the same way, whether depositors mm-hmm. of all banks are protected in the same way. And so what we're seeing, you know, as we speak at the moment uh, is that Janet Yellen at the Treasury is 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 starting to make more, and Joe Biden, the president, starting to make more sort of um, positive um, sounding uh, pronouncements about the fact that people will be protected. Uh, because ultimately, this is the, the the question here is the is the withdrawal of deposits. Uh, if you can if you can create uh, more of a sense of reassurance amongst depositors, then all the other things will can be sorted out. Yeah, exactly. In time, it's just about asset prices moving, isn't mm. it? At that point, um, you feel like the regulators and authorities have learned lessons from two thousand and eight. That's the obvious comparison that's being made. Um, it does feel though, doesn't it? I mean, obviously, there's high, there's issues here that. Uh, are common across banks now it doesn't feel quite the same as 2008 though because back then it was more of a shock suddenly there were assets that people felt or or thought had a value suddenly they didn't and then sort of the fallout came from that point it really should have been no surprise that banks would be would be holding assets that lose value when interest rates rise that's surely the easiest stress test you can do is what happens when interest rates rise that's what happens if you go and borrow money at the bank for a mortgage you know what will happen to your repayments if, mm. if the mortgage rates go to whatever mm. this wasn't hard to spot coming was it well you can say that but then i mean equally i think that you know you can say that 15 years ago uh it probably uh would not have been beyond the realms of possibility that house prices might fall um, but the assumption was that pri- house prices never fall, uh, and that was and that was the underpinning of the whole sort of um, financial uh, system uh, back then, and that's that's why things went went so badly wrong. So you know, yes, it's easy to say with hindsight what people should have realised. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I think it, it you know it should have been obvious that if interest rates go up, if bond yields go up, the value of bonds is going to fall, but. 
there you go yeah okay well um the final sort of uh question here is is what central banks do because you've made the point that it's their interest rate rises that have you know ratcheted up the the stress in the banking system but does that necessarily mean that they're going to suddenly halt their course or reverse their interest rate rises to make everything easier that seems to me like a big step for them to take well it, it is a big step because um because their primary concern uh, has been uh, the fight against inflation and the 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 danger is that if they uh, if if they bail out on that fight um, early, then they lose uh, credibility. Um, and one of the key differences between now and 2008 is that inflation continues to be uh, an issue. Um, now, you, you know, you can make the case that actually it's less of an issue than, than people think and that inflation is falling away mm-hmm. uh, quite quickly. But, but the central banks don't want to take that risk. Um, however, it is also clear that their interest rate rises are part of the problem. So to a degree, it feels like further rate rises would be pouring fuel on, on the fire. Anyway, we haven't got long to find out. We're recording no. this on a uh, on Tuesday. Uh, tomorrow, Wednesday, the Federal Reserve will be announcing its rate decision. And then a day later on Thursday, the Bank of uh, England. Uh, it could go either way, to be honest, because it is a two-way pull on central banks. Um, uh, my feeling is that even if... Uh, this week doesn't see uh, an end to the rate rises, then they are now closer than they would have been were it not for this banking um, crisis that we've been through. Okay, well, clearly it's got further to run. The news is going to change daily, you feel. Uh, But let's move on for now, Tom, to pensions, because last week at the budget, uh, we heard that the lifetime allowance for pensions is going to be abolished. That's been scheduled, at least, uh, along with various other changes to pension system, which we're going to get into. On the face of it, Tom, um, it seems to be good news, certainly for anyone with large enough savings that they were constrained by some of the limits within the pension system. Yes, I mean, th- that's right. I mean, there's, there's for, for many years, there's been a limit on how much people can hold uh, within their pensions. Uh, that limit actually used to be a great deal more generous than it has been in, in recent years. Um, uh, the lifetime uh, allowance um, above which you face a tax charge on your pension uh, holdings is is just over a, a million pounds now, to be precise, a million and 73, 100. 100 yeah. um, um, so the, the abolition of that limit, so effectively saying you can hold as much as you'd like uh, in your pension is on the face of it a good thing. And some of the other uh, developments as well are also um, uh, you know, uh, positive. So uh, the, the amount of money that you can put in your pension um, uh, if, for example, you have already accessed your pension, is 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 rising. Yep. Um, that's the taper. Um, uh, sorry, that's the money purchase annual allowance. Yes. Uh, there is also a tapered allowance, uh, yes. which refers to the the how much you earn, basically. So you know, yeah. the, the the more you earn, the less you're allowed to put into your pension. It's complicated. It's complicated, and as is always the way on the podcast. I mean, we always have to balance sort of giving people information about the system, but also running through line by line rules allow- allowances and thresholds which is frankly really really boring and people don't <laughs> take it in but you you're right Tom in what you say the lifetime allowance that's the overall amount that you can pay in sorry that's the overall amount you can hold in a pension um well it will be abolished when they can legislate for it which will be later this year and it will come into effect uh in April 24 but before that 
in April this year, they're going to remove the sort of penalty charges, the really hefty tax charges that were going to apply. So effectively, it's effectively, it's being mm-hmm. removed from from this April. The Annual allowance rises from 40000 to 60000 As you've mentioned there, the money purchase annual allowance and the tapered annual allowance get a little bit more generous as well. Um, there, there's arguments about the fairness of this. I think it's going to cost, I think by uh, looking at the budget da- uh, uh, documents, in five years' time it will cost just over a billion pounds to have effectively given this uh, tax break, actually, to, by definition, the very wealthiest people. Um the government has got a wider aim in mind, it says, which is to keep older people in the workforce. We've gone over it in the podcast before that these limits have potentially um, nudged people to give up work because their work wasn't able to contribute to their retirement savings. So they've just thought, oh, well, I'll just give up work. So that's the test, isn't it? Whether or not we see an increase in productivity in older people staying in the workforce. Mm. And the argument against uh, this is that the, 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 the main, one of the main targets uh, is um, senior people within, within the health service. And in order to make life easier for them and to encourage them to stay in the workforce, uh, the government has been forced to make life easier for richer people generally. Yeah. Uh, so one argument is that, well, maybe this should be targeted at, at the parts of the uh, economy that you want to um, protect, um, rather than just a, a, a broad brush um, handout, essentially, is, yeah. is how it's being uh, characterised to richer people. Yeah, and because the pension system is so complicated... It's one of those situations where you make these changes in one area of it and you have all these sort of unintended consequences at sort of a distant part of the system. And and I do wonder what's going to happen uh, and whether all the sort of all all the consequences have been headed off here. We've got this situation with inheritance tax. It's been talked about a lot since this change change has come in. Basically, money inside a pension does not attract um, inheritance tax if it's passed on, if the pension is passed on. The beneficiary might pay income tax, depending on the age at which you die, but um, there's no IHT to pay. Now, that's one that, that's, if if pensions are capped, if the amount you can keep in one is capped, then that's one thing. But if it's completely limitless, as this suggests, or this, this change to the lifetime allowance suggests, that means there's a huge potential shelter from IHT. Mm. You wonder whether a future government, this one or a different one, might look at those kind of details. I'm, I'm sure they will look at it, yeah. I mean, it, it is probably an unintended uh, consequence of this. I mean, I think people have always used pensions uh, at the margin as a, as a bit of a tool for managing their inheritance tax uh, liability. Uh, and, you know, if you're a wealthier person, you've probably had that conversation with your financial advisor about how you should yeah. do that and the order in which you should draw down your assets in order to protect um, the, uh, the, the IHT benefits of, 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 a, of a pension. But I think that, that now the limit has gone, as you say, the scope for, for, for serious IHT avoidance is is much greater than it was before. Yeah, I mean, there are some restrictions on that. Um, obviously, the annual allowance that we've spoken about going up to 60,000 a year, it's a significant increase, but that's still a limit on what you can put in. Mm. There is something called carry forward. Carry forward is using unused annual allowance from preceding years. So if you haven't used it all, you can add it up, I think, over the preceding three years. And subject to other conditions, you can pay that amount in as a lump sum. So there may be people as a result of these changes that can now put in 
well, you know, hundreds potentially, certainly more than a hundred thousand pounds in using all these rules. Mm. Again, there's a practical limitation there, which yeah. is that you can only put in as much as you are earning. You can't exactly. exceed your earnings in, in the year so. that you do it. So yes, yeah, there are there are checks and balances. There are checks and balances, um, and so it's not a complete giveaway. And the, and the other element in which uh, last week's news wasn't quite as it seems was that. Yes, the, the lifetime allowance for pensions is going. But one of the biggest uh, tax breaks or tax advantages from pensions is the 25% of tax-free cash that you can get uh, on anything saved in within a pension. Uh, that's really what nudges it over ICEs for, for lots of people. You know, it's that tax efficiency that, that makes the difference. Tax-free cash is now going to be capped. It's going to be capped at the equivalent of... 25% of the current lifetime allowance, the 1,073,100 and that you've spoken about. It's a cash figure now. Anything above that, you are not going to get your 25% tax-free cash. Mm. It's going to be taxed as income. So you avoid tax on the way in on a contribution, but you are taxed on the way out. Mm. That does erode the tax efficiency of the anything above the current lifetime allowance, doesn't it? It does. And it's also extremely convenient uh, for the government to have a cash sum rather than a percentage sum, uh, because uh, the advantage of a cash sum is that you can freeze it um, or you can reduce it. um, (laughs) And uh, and it will be very interesting to see uh, in in years to come whether either or both of those are used by governments looking to save some money. Uh, Well, I mean, it's the the cash figure now is a a very sort of... um, specific £268,275. Mm. Now, um, yeah, you can see that. Uh, let's round that to two fifty. Yeah, you know, Let's freeze it yeah. for a bit. You know, exactly. This is how it happens. And so uh, it's another element that, um, you, you know, you can see how that's a, that's a sort of a knob for the future mm. government to turn, potentially, to, to make the system less generous. Um, and, of course, we've had Labour's response to this Conservative government's changes they've said they're going to reverse all this Mm. so uh in a little under two years maybe even sooner than that um this could all be back to the drawing board yeah absolutely and and that and that creates uncertainty it also uh creates an incentive for people to to act quickly and 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 acting quickly is rarely the sensible approach with your with your finances people are going to look to try and take advantage within the next two years maybe to shovel money into their pension and then to take it out just before a general election there are all sorts of things that people will be thinking about which may or may not be a good thing yeah exactly i mean i I can tell uh listeners i've been involved in some of the communications we're doing inside the business around this issue and the, and the kind of financial planning questions are basically endless. You know, there's so many implications and very you know, people have all sorts of very specific um, uh, scenarios that, uh, that, that, that are particular to them. They may have taken money out to avoid tax charges in the past. Mm. Does that mean they can now put it back in? There's all sorts of questions that really aren't obvious, uh, even to the professionals. So mm. it's going to take... Um, a lot of examining and a lot of sort of careful thought and as you say not rushing into decisions really even if on the face of it this is generous yes it's probably a good time to be a financial advisor <laughs> yeah <laughs> because yeah. because the demand for their expertise is is uh, rising exponentially yeah indeed well look tom that is it for today two really really meaty issues and i think they're probably going to be around with us for some time to come but anyway for now thanks for joining me thanks ed 
Please note that the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. Investors should note that the views expressed may no longer be current and may have already been acted upon. This information is not a personal recommendation for any particular investment. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to one of Fidelity's advisors or an authorised financial advisor of your choice. Overseas investments will be affected by movements in currency exchange rates and investments in emerging markets can be more volatile than other more developed markets. Reference to the specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell these securities and is included for the purposes of illustration only. Tax treatment depends on individual circumstances and all tax rules may change in the future. Withdrawals from a pension product may not be possible until you reach age 55, 57 from 2028. This podcast may not be reproduced or circulated without prior permission. No statements or representations made in this podcast are legally binding on Fidelity or the recipient. This podcast is meant only for UK residents and does not constitute an offer or a solicitation in any jurisdiction in which it may be unlawful to make such an offer or solicitation.